Folks, super excited for today's episode. Before we jump in, let's talk about the current reality. Apple dropped their VR headset. Everybody's talking about it. And so today, there are two things I want to talk about today. Number one, is this going to be a defining moment as it was with iPhone, where design is going to forever change? And second thing, is designing in 3D the future? So talk about these two interview themes. I have with me Julian, who is the founder and CEO of Bezel. Bezel, in a nutshell, lets you design in 3D together, collaboratively. Just imagine like Figma, but like in 3D mode and with your team. That's what it does. Julian, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Super excited to chat about Bezel and design in 3D and the Apple asset, all that stuff. Let me ask you this straight up, man. I remember that moment very clearly. The iPhone came out and people are like, oh, we got to design for this small screen. And now it's that is like people design for mobile first. People design responsive and it's like mobile first is a strategy. Do you think we're going into that moment with Apple entering the, the space? Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those things where, you know, when it first happens, the world is a bit slow to realize what like the magnitude of what's to come. Because even the mobile computing era took a couple of years to like really saturate and like really get people to think about, okay, it does look like people spend quite a bit of time on their phones now, on their smartphones. So that caused a lot of businesses and apps to come into the ecosystem and, and entire companies like Uber or Snapchat or so on came into existence because of this mobile app ecosystem. So I think there's a lot uh, to be excited about. That This is, in my opinion, the closest thing to what Apple did with the iPhone in 2007. It's next product category that it launched to make sure that this new future of computing is a lot more immersive and a lot more compelling than before. Something I like to talk about is this evolution of media all the way from the printing press words to like monochrome photos to audio recordings to like color films. I like to quote the Wizards of Oz scene where like Dorothy enters into the Technicolor world from sepia to like full color. And you're like, wait, what? Technology can capture this extra dimension. I think it's the same thing happening today with 2D designs where the entire product design industry, as we know it, you know, when someone talks about, I'm a product designer, our immediate assumption is like, oh, they probably design some digital product on the web or an app or something like that. But I think that will slowly evolve over time as people realize, oh, okay, because spatial computing is the next logical step for technological immersion, going from text to photos to you know, film to 3D, the term product design would even evolve beyond that. So yeah, 100%, I think this is the next computing era. I and mean, even Apple said this during its WWDC announcement recently. They were like, welcome to the spatial computing era. I think being the, the largest tech player in the world, this, this really is a big moment. So you're probably going to have some designers that are going to come and say, Julian, that's awesome. I respect all the hype train, but I'm going to stand on the sidelines and actually see if this takes off, like mainstream, like everyone does it because the headset cost is really expensive too. So what words of encouragement or motivation would you tell these designers? Like, why should they jump on this spatial design early on? What's the benefit for them? One quick thing on the cost side, I do think it was a very intentional move by Apple to have the first gen headset to be priced this high. I don't think the goal is pure mass adoption of the product. I think the goal is to show the world what's possible technologically 
speaking and get the developers and in this case, a lot of the designers to be also excited about this new medium so that we have enough content for this new platform, right? And if you really think about it, the success of this new platform depends on content and content creation because we now need killer apps that really compel people to put on this headset on their face. That's a a whole nother barrier to entry than like just holding up your phone. So to your point, I do think it all comes down to content. If we as a tech industry really want this to happen, we need to focus on creating compelling content that a lot of people around the world can really enjoy. On your point about why would designers want to get in at this point, that there are trade-offs between getting in to a space early versus later. I think getting an early, if you're an early adopter, it's before the huge saturated market comes in and then you have a ton of competition in all angles and you're like trying to figure out what to build. It's before that. And what that also means is there is more risk. There are a lot less answered questions around which design standards or patterns or UX thought processes to use. You have to be at the frontier, uh, spearheading this movement, be part of this small community, actually leading the industry forward. I think that's going to be really interesting. And for any designer that I know of, that they want to push their own creative boundaries and push the creative boundaries of the app experience, of course, but also the technological medium. And I think these are the, the pieces of artwork that really stay over time beyond the, the functional utility that an app might provide. It all comes down to how the experience makes you feel as a human being. So from that perspective, I think that this new medium, especially in Apple validating the product category as a whole, that that's the biggest indicator that anyone would want to wait for anyway. So I do think now is the time for really designers to come into this space and start creating. What really caught my attention is you saying that designers have a genuine opportunity to design something from zero to one scratch. There's no defined best practices, best UX practices, best design guidelines to follow for this space. If you think about a typical designer and they're designing a mobile app, they are going to take inspiration from one of these MAMA companies. And for, for those of you who don't know what MAMA is, this is something I just picked up. It's an acronym that stands for Meta, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon. So they're going to look at these big four tech players and not clone those apps, but just take a lot of inspiration from them. But then here, what you're saying, Julian, is you get to, as a designer, create the best practices from scratch and explore the creator boundary. Yeah, exactly. It's like building mobile apps before a swiping was a pattern, right? Before pull to refresh, when you like drag on that list that like it would refresh, all these things that you expect from now on just wasn't a thing just even several years ago. So I think from that perspective, you get to really define what this medium means for the rest of history going forward. I think there's a lot of unexplored territory and that's where designers really shine, in my opinion. It's not, oh, design the 10th food delivery app then that will look pretty similar to some of the existing ones within sort of creative boundaries. But that's not, I think, where design really shines. I think it really shines in sort of these new creative opportunities where they can express their thoughts and, and push the boundaries. You are a mama alumni. I think I just sound so cool saying it. I think I'm going to just name drop mama so many times, Julian, throughout the interview. <laughs> it's a new term. I'm still getting used to it too. You worked at Meta. I'm curious to know, did you join 
their vision team from the get-go? Or was it like you joined some different team and then you're like, oh my God, I, I think I need to go and work in that division? I started right away in the Oculus org before it was called Meta. It was very interesting to see a, the platform evolve from a PC, like Oculus Rift oriented company to a more mobile company that's standalone and that you see with the Quest SS today. I was able to contribute to the OS software that goes inside Oculus Go, Quest 1, Quest 2, and so on. It's been pretty exciting to see the VR efforts of Meta also evolve over time. I think I'm super proud of the work that the team has been able to put out over the past several years too. The Quest product is is amazing. And it truly brought mass adoption within the VR realm, in my opinion. So I think that that was a great first step for the history of VR headsets. When you were joining the Oculus Org, I'm sure you must have had opportunities to go to more mature orgs within Meta. Like you could have joined the Instagram team, you could have joined the WhatsApp team, for example. What got you really excited about Oculus and just the spatial computing space in general that you were like, you know what, I'm going to go here? So I came in for context. I came in as an engineer. I was writing a lot of JavaScript code, a lot of things that would allow developers and app developers build their own apps on the OS that goes inside the the headsets. I think that I did have a couple other options, as you noted, but this to me seemed the kind of going back to the creative boundaries concept. This to me seemed like there was a lot more potential for me to contribute my creativity and my energy to the space in a way that wasn't so predictable. Like I enjoy unpredictable things. I think there's a lot of beauty in not knowing what's coming up, like the unknown unknowns with work and with technological innovation. So you know, I went in trying to understand what's going on. I also had to learn a lot to catch up on how the technology works, how the software works uh, inside. But I think over time, I realized that, oh, this is pretty much like any other computing platform, except trying to bootstrap, trying to kickstart a whole new thing that humanity really isn't used to yet. So that to me just felt more exciting. And I was pulled in that direction. That sounds so inspiring. So when you were there, you're working in the Oculus Org and you're working there helping the team. How did you get this idea that, you know what, maybe I need to create this 3D design tool called Bezel? It's a long story. Long story short, I think during that time, I worked a lot with designers, right? So me being the engineer, I would develop UI components. I would develop UX patterns that developers and designers could use within the org to build apps for the content platform. And what that meant was I would have one-on-one meetings and these group meetings with designers who would use tools like Figma to iterate on the app UI and how everything works in the headset from the, the interactive buttons all the way to the panel app framework and how they move around and float around you. So they're using a 2D design tool for something that's 3D. Exactly. So it's just something that people accepted in the org. It wasn't a huge conversation topic even to really talk about, oh, how could this be better? It just was the accepted norm. But once in a while, as you might expect, when designers bring these Figma designs to meetings, people would ask, hey, how do I view these designs in headset? Because we want to see it, experience it in a prototype before we ship it to customers. The truth of the matter is that Designers, if they wanted to, then they would have to work with a Unity prototyper 
to build out a whole interactive 3D prototype and sometimes involves like C-sharp scripting. Sometimes they have to then export this package to different headsets to be able to share it across their teammates. It was a pretty long process. It took several weeks at the very least for one design iteration to actually get a change across and even propose it to the rest of the organization and to leadership. And I was frankly a bit frustrated. I was uh, chatting with a couple people about, okay, this is really slow. And obviously Facebook's slogan is you got to move fast. So I was like, okay, something's not right here. And I asked the lead prototyper back then. I was like, hey, is there like an easier way for designers to prototype in 3D? Um, and he's like, no, this is it. This is how the industry works. And that's when I realized, okay, taking a step back, there are a lot more companies even in this industry that could benefit from a design tool that truly offers a 3D medium. And so that's when I left Facebook with the prototyper, along with a lead designer who was designing a bunch of the apps that would go inside the headset. And the three of us started Bezel. And fast forward two years, and we now have a product that takes that multi-week process through something like Unity into a couple minutes or a couple hours, because it's simply a website that you can just drag and drop 2D frequent frames or 3D models, or you can even create them inside Bezel if you'd like. And now you have a, you can also hook up some interactive elements there as well. And now you have a whole interactive prototype that you've built out just in a couple hours. And it's been amazing to see what designers are capable of designing on there. And we've also come full circle and we've also onboarded a bunch of designers at Meta to also use Bezel now. You know what you just did right now? You literally gave a playbook for all the Mama employees, right? Designers, engineers included, on how to literally find startup ideas while working at one of these companies. In my opinion, that's what I feel. Yeah, I think working at larger companies or not just larger, but larger and innovative companies, you get to see an early glimpse into what the future work process workflow looks like, right? And when you get these early glimpses, you are often confronted with a problem that's new for this new workflow. And I think if someone's able to capture or first identify and understand and capture and then be able to build something around that that solves that problem, 100%, I think that that's a product worth evangelizing. So quick counter question to that. Why not take that idea for Bezel and pitch it inside Facebook and just build it for Facebook? Why go out and create a separate startup? So I think it could have went either way. One thing that I will say is I did try to pitch it internally and there were some funding issues or we weren't able to hit the right checkpoints from management's perspective to be able to start a project that's invested long-term inside Facebook's funding. I think that was one problem that is pretty common case. And so I think knowing that the other option is just to start the product outside. And I think eventually, I think that this was a more strategic move overall because there are a lot more companies beyond Meta that could benefit from a tool like this as they build out more AR, VR, and 3D experiences. So then you also mentioned that it seems like you're already working with your co-founder who was the lead prototyper, right? At Meta, you were prototyping these experiences with him. So you've built that somewhat connection, friendship there, so I can see that. But then your third co-founder, Cecilia, like, how did you build that bond with her? Did you all work together on a project? Like as co-founders, how did you build that trust and bond to just trust each other and say, we're going to go out and start a company together? 
yeah, it helped that the three of us worked on separate projects here and there over time at Oculus. So we already came in understanding what kind of work style we have, what kind of goals we have in our general work environment or career. I think that served as a good foundation. What I think really clicked for us is dissatisfaction with the status quo. And I think that's something that is amazing when channeled correctly. And when channeled wrongly, it just becomes complaints. But I think if channeled correctly, it becomes, okay, this is a room for a new opportunity to be built upon, right? So this is a new thing that could solve a lot of problems for for, for the status quo. And both Dennis and Cecilia, they're amazing at being able to understand a problem very deeply, all the way down very deeply to the user's experience, and then be able to empathize and build out a product that solves that need. So experiencing that with them and talking about it over many meetings, I think we built that trust and that foundation to be able to build out this product. And how did you decide who's going to do what? Who's going to be CEO? Who's going to be in charge of the product, who's going to, like, how did you divide up those responsibilities and those roles? Because there's three of you. Yeah, I don't remember all the details. I do remember we talked a bunch around our strengths and weaknesses. And I think we each agreed that I just happened to have a lot of the strengths within the the CEO realm of to-do checklists. And that's how it came to be. But I would be happy if either one of them were CEO. I think that's fine. I, that's fine too. We do have a fair number of power users now. It's been about half a year since we really launched our beta program. But a lot of people around the world really are finding Bezel online and trying it out and realizing that it's just the easiest way possible for them to design and prototype in 3D. And I think that speaks to a lot of people. Not all, because not, not everyone works in like a 3D related field. That's okay. Maybe that'll change in the future as the industry grows. But for people who do, this is pretty much a lifesaver. But those stories are the ones that really keep me going too. And I think what is in your favor, like your advantage, is that you have seen how the startup wars, if I may use that word, played out in the 2D design space. Like we had so many people in that 2D design tool space arena. You have like Sketch, we have got Envision, we've got like Figma, Marvel, Axure. Like I'm going to lose like probably like track of so many tools there. And you've seen what has worked, what has not worked and how Figma came to dominate that space. What I want to know is what are some of the lessons you picked up from that journey? And you said, you know what? I'm going to make sure that we do this right at Bezel. I think something that Figma did early on is bet on the web. And the web is just this amazing open platform that is almost native to the creative process, right? Because you have this interconnected layer called the internet between all these different devices and operating systems. So someone could have a MacBook, someone else could have a Surface laptop, and that they're now able to experience the same app in the same way through the browser, right? And that's something that I wanted to learn from Figma. I think we are now taking that one step further and going to another operating system like Vision OS, like the Quest OS, being able to really extend the capabilities of graphics and creative design graphics on the web through, uh, in our case, it's WebXR and WebGL. 
to be able to share these designs and these prototypes universally and instantly through a browser link. So I think that's something that we are really thinking deeply about is, okay, let's just take a step back and think about regardless of time or constraints or whatever we're building, what is the ideal designer experience that we would want for this spatial computing era, right? And it came down to three things, right? So the first thing really is accessibility. And what I mean by that is no code because we have apps like Unity that are basically game programming oriented. And so we wanted to keep it really accessible, something that someone can pick up easily to create something. The second thing was cross-platform. And in our case, cross-platform is not just like between operating systems. It's, it's between different types of devices because we now have headsets. And to me, it didn't seem feasible, at least with today's hardware, that entire teams of people, even if they're building a spatial app or a spatial experience, would work with their headset on 9 to 5 on like, inside the medium with today's hardware. So what that meant was, okay, then we would probably have people using their computers and their laptops for now. And we need this connected layer between what the laptop can provide and what the headset can provide. So we decided to go with this interconnected cross-platform browser approach, which you know, I think was, was a good choice looking back, given how much easier it is for designers to pick it up like any other 2D design tool that they would on the browser. And then we have this multiplayer uh, team collaboration aspect that I think Figma really got right. And it also offered that network effect for a lot of teammates to also jump on and collaborate with you in the same design at the same time. So I think these three things are all embedded inside Bezel right now. And I believe that designers want this type of experience. And anything else after experiencing this would not be good enough. That's what we're thinking. I'm really curious to know, Julian, what does your typical like work hour week look like as a CEO? Is it like 40 hour, 80 hour, 100 hour work week? I don't know. I don't think I ever counted like an hour by hour analysis of my week before. But one thing I will say is I think when I am awake, even if I'm like cooking or eating or something like that, I'm thinking about some work-related problem or like some aspect of the future that I know Bezel needs to get to or something like that. Yeah, I would say I work a lot <laughs> personally, but I also have a beautiful life outside of work. I enjoy hanging out with my wife after work and that's been amazing too. I'm really happy to hear that you also have a life outside of work and it's not just the morning, night, weekends. Julian is just on the computer. No, it's definitely a merging of the two types of lives I have. I do think it's important to work hard, but I also think it's also a necessity when you're running a small startup. But I think it's also a, a marathon. So you need to be able to not burn out and have the scalability of your schedule, right? I love the analogy. Let me just poke a little bit more into it. Like you said, it's like this whole startup game is it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, so to speak. So what I'm hearing is that instead of saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to just put in 15 hour days for two weeks or nonstop and then burn out. You're saying, how can I sustain my health for the long term? Yeah, exactly. And I think you're only able to work with a long-term vision if you are able to visualize like what the world will look like in 20, 30 years or something, right? And you can work back from that. 
So you think, okay, what are some truths that will always be true, independent of what hardware is available today or like what technology is available today? And then come work back from that and work towards that long-term goal. And then that's where you're able to like work with this long-term time frame in mind. And I think the longer we go as a startup, the, the more time frame we are able to think about. And I'd say it's an awesome experience. As a startup CEO, how do you avoid burnout? Yeah, I go on a run once in a while in San Francisco, which definitely helps. I think just being able to listen to stories of people actually benefiting from Bezel so that I'm reminded that we're not building just for the sake of it, or just because it's cool, but like it's actually solving people's problems out there. I think that really keeps me motivated and keeps me going like day to day. And I think for me, it hasn't been uh, too much of an issue so far. I have a similar anecdote to share. So today I got a random message on LinkedIn in my DMs from Brian Peterson, who is leading the, the design at Affirm. And he just said that, hey, you know what? I love your content that you're putting on LinkedIn with all the podcasts and stuff. Keep going. And just like you, sometimes I'm just so much in the mode and I'm like, wait, is anybody benefiting from this? And just hearing these messages is so rewarding. Okay, need to keep going. I'm going in the right direction. Yeah, 100%. I think it's once you have your eyes on the long-term goals, I think the day-to-day becomes a lot easier. That's just the, the, the truth about a marathon, right? You're not in a marathon thinking you're sprinting for the next mile. It's many miles ahead. So you got to pace yourself. You got to be able to think through, okay, well, what are some stepping stones or like milestones along the way that, that we can also hit, which is I think also important for like team morale and making sure that we have a firm grounding in the market space. And then along this marathon, you probably have some upskilling and some learnings to do. Just as a normal designer has to up-level on the craft, and you probably have to level up on some other things regarding your role as a CEO. How do you go about that? Is it like you're reading books or having some coaches or is there some secret founder group that you're part of? Yeah, I'm not a part of any secret founder group, but I do have amazing coworkers around me who give me a lot of good feedback around things that I could have done better, things that I said that maybe wasn't really accurate or what wasn't reflective of the work that people are putting in. I did have to go through a lot of iterations with the way I think or speak or act the whole team or or even external facing conversations. Can you give me an example? Yeah. I think one thing was, I'm still working on this by the way, but one thing is how to be a bit more inspirational as opposed to just telling someone what to do. Those are very different things. Because it's a, it's being able to really rally and champion the, the core value and the core belief and, and the core vision of what we're trying to do. Going back to the, the long-term goals here, as opposed to telling someone what to do, which is not what you want to do or which is not where you want to be overall as a manager either. So I think understanding the differences between management and leadership, but also like long-term thinking. I think it's really what differentiates a good leader from a great leader. And there were times when, you know, I would just say, oh, we need to do this. We need to fix that bug. We need to get that in right now. But then looking back or taking a step back, I'm like, maybe I could have worded that differently or like focused on the long-term picture instead. And that would have resulted in a much better output even. I love that you're so humble and frank and sharing your experience candidly. Yeah, thanks. I I try to be. I try to be humble. 
what advice would you have for all those designers or engineers working at Mama or any of these big, as you said, innovative, large tech companies, but they still have that entrepreneurial desire like you, but don't know, like, where do I get the startup idea? What should I do next? What advice would you give them? I think it comes down to what your unique understanding or what your unique skill set is. Because deciding to actually leave or actually start a company is an act of courage. And I think everyone has courage in them. They just need to find it and use it. But I think what's more strategically relevant here is finding from a technology or strategy perspective, what that unique insight is that you are uniquely able to work on, right? And I think this is really important because if you're working on something that's easily duplicated or easily replicated, then I think that is where startups often fall apart. And you have to know a secret almost, like a secret that no one else really knows about in the industry that you keep and that you're able to leverage like throughout your experience. That to me was, oh, people who are building for VR headsets still like to work on the web and on their laptops. And we need a bridge between that and to establish a tool that can bridge that gap between laptops and headsets and not just be in the headset all day long, realistically speaking. So some kind of secret that, that allows them to view the industry or their day-to-day work at their company in a different way and then have the courage to lead. And I got to ask you this, man. You're working at Facebook. Facebook really compensates their employees really well from what I've heard from my friends who work there. Did you never think about this fact that, okay, I'm going to take a risky bet? Because when you left Bessel, right, you're, you're starting off with just a concept, just an idea. The tool wasn't even built yet. Like I'm assuming it's nowhere near the version that it is today with people like using this and designers raving about it. So did the thought cross your mind? What about all this missed promotion opportunities at, at Meta and then the lost money that you could have made there, bonuses and all these golden handcuffs and stuff you're leaving on the table? But that's life, right? It's There are all these parallel universes and alternate cases that you could have went with, but you didn't. I think to me, what mattered more is the opportunity to try something new. And I think also personally, I was at a point in my several years at, at Facebook where I was like, I'm ready to try something new. And I think the answer for me was really to look at an opportunity outside the company. And yeah, just being able to take that risk. Of course, compensation was something that I, I considered and I had to outweigh the benefit of working on something new over just compensation. But I think that's the cost of creativity almost. It's like you being able to have full creative freedom on what to work on and how that works and building a team around that and continuing to work at a large company, which it's, I think it's just trade-offs. I think it's it's not something that I would also universally recommend to people because they might have different financial situations or family situations that require them to work differently, which is totally fine. I don't think I don't measure people's success by whether they left a big company or not. That's not how I view the world or people's careers. For some people, and for me, it made sense in that moment. I just think that's how it came to be. But I still think I would have been a very happy engineer if I stuck with a large company long term too. So, But then we wouldn't have had Bezel. But bezel wouldn't be a thing. So you got to travel in the time machine and kind of change things up a little bit. Julian, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom. Yeah, 
this is really fun. Thank you for hosting.